Hi, my name is Heather Renner, and this is My Life Wildlife. I'm the supervisory wildlife biologist at the Alaska Maritime National Wildlife Refuge, and I'm in Homer, Alaska. I've been here, uh, here in Homer at the Alaska Maritime Refuge for 21 years. <laughs> Makes me feel old. <laughs> when I came, I was uh, still somewhat young, and I uh, went out and I spent my first summer on a remote island in the Western Aleutians, and I came back and came to a staff meeting, and with great delight, I announced that my supervisor had been working on that island the year I was born, and I thought that was hilarious that he was that old. And that was 21 years ago, and we often hire folks about that age now, so I think that's about to happen to me next. <laughs> I was born and raised in Anchorage. I was lucky to grow up with parents that made wildlife and nature a part of everything we did as adventures, and, and we just spent all of our time in the outdoors. So I grew up hiking and sea kayaking and backcountry skiing, and that made me really love Alaska's wild places. And I grew up getting to see a lot of them uh, as a firsthand observer and fell in love with Alaska. When I was 15, I got a job at the genetics lab in uh, the regional office in Anchorage. A lot of what I did was washing dishes and data entry, but I um, was immediately, I had an amazing mentor and I was immediately introduced to the theory of genetics and exposed to the great people that worked on that. And I also that year got my first taste of field work and I got to go fly in a helicopter to collect genetic samples out on Yukon Delta National Wildlife Refuge. It was honestly sheer luck. Uh, when I was 14, I worked in a, a day camp, an environmental education camp, and the older counselor that I worked with recommended it as a place where he knew that sometimes uh, younger people had been hired to work in the lab. And so I called them up and was told that there were no positions available. And I kept calling and kept being told that there were no positions available. And eventually I decided I was taking a marine biology class at, at school that year and I decided since I'd learned what electrophoresis was so that I could call and sound interested in the job that I might as well do a project on it and so I decided to do a marine biology project on that lab and I called back and I asked if I could come in and take a tour for my high school class and I did that and after a while I um, the woman at the lab decided to offer me a position. She called and said, we like you, you're persistent. And so that was how I got my foot in the door. And after that, it just got easier and easier and I was hooked. After that, I, I was involved in um, what's now called the Pathways Program. At that time, it was called the SCEP Program. And when I graduated from college, I had a permanent job offer and I went and spent three years out in King Salmon working at the Alaska Peninsula Refuge. And so I, I worked as a kind of entry-level career biologist out there for three years. And then after that, I left and went back to graduate school. When I finished my master's degree, I again had an opportunity for a permanent job. And that brought me to Alaska Maritime Refuge in Homer. And I've been here ever since. The refuge is really hard to wrap your head around. It's um, thousands of islands over the entire coast of Alaska. So all the way from southeast Alaska to 
the Gulf, and then uh, most of our landmass is in the Aleutian chain. And we also have um, islands up in the Bering Sea and all the way uh, up into the Chukchi in the North Slope of Alaska. So it's really far flung islands that are in rainforest and maritime tundra and then all the way up to really arctic regions up, up north. If you put Alaska Maritime Refuge on a map of the lower 48, it ranges from Georgia to Texas to California and all the way up to Minnesota. And it really takes, I feel like it takes five or seven years before you have enough of a feel for the place that you can remember where all the islands are located and that they, they make sense to you in your head. And after 21 years, I've been to a whole bunch of islands, but nowhere near the majority of them. There's always a new adventure, um, but you do start to get a feel for the different ecosystems. Very little of it is near Homer, where we're headquartered. So we don't get to see it year round. And it, uh, it takes quite a bit of extended travel to get to see it. You, can't, you can rarely make a, a day trip to go see the refuge unless you're somebody lucky enough to live closer to it than most of us staff do. So we uh, we visit it mostly by our research vessel, the Tekla, and we make trips of kind of a minimum of two weeks and our luckiest employees get to spend their full summer out on the islands that are part of the Alaska Maritime Refuge. Most of my time is spent thinking about our long-term seabird monitoring program. We have data sets that have been collected for approaching 50 years at many of our sites, and we collect the same type of data at, on a variety of species at all of these sites. We have different biologists that are in charge of each of the specific projects, but my role is to kind of put all that together and make sure we're thinking about things with a landscape view. Well, it turns out for ecological questions for long-term monitoring, it takes about 30 years in a data set before you can start to investigate relationships with environmental change. So you have to have tremendously long data sets before you can ask questions about is sea temperature or um, sea ice change or some of these other climate effects, are they causing the changes we're seeing in the seabirds that we keep track of? The most effective tool we have is selecting some very simple monitoring metrics and collecting them exactly the same way through a long period of time. And it turns out that sounds simple, but it's really hard. And it's hard to have things that are simple enough that you can be sure that other people will interpret them and do them the same way over long periods. And that technology changes will not change your methods enough that you're collecting different data with different ways. We have eight long-term sites where we, we spend a lot more time and each of them are incredibly unique and special and they were picked because they are important seabird colonies. Many of them have millions of seabirds nesting on them and they're really wildlife spectacles that you can experience differently by day and by night. Um, some of them might have a million thick-billed murres cooing, and others might have one or five million auklets that you see at different times of the day. It's just a, a bustling swirl of wildlife, and at other times of day, they're all at home in their underground rock crevices, and you wouldn't have any idea that anybody's there.
our field crews spend three or four months at a time on a remote island and often the only contact with humans that they'll have is their campmate, which who may just be one or two other other people that they're living with. And until about 2000, 2001, all of the communication they had was by single sideband radio. Um, we have a, an office in ADAC in the Central Aleutians and that's our communications hub. And twice a day, uh, folks would get weather reports in the morning and uh, check in in the evening to make sure everybody was back safely from their activities and to share news of what's going on in the camps and to share news to the campers of what's going on in the world. Sometimes those radio communications would be fun games. We played Radio Jeopardy, ways to boost the morale of, of campers that had been on the island for months. And often they were exchanges of scientific information. There's a day, usually once a summer, when the ship comes and brings mail. And that day, nobody's thinking about their island. They're all kind of lost in home. And packages come and um, letters. And that day is kind of a write-off for the, for the field season, but it, it's one of everybody's favorite days. But there's a little bit of a relief when you get back to your island and your own, your own sense of normalcy and what's happening. I spent the summer of 2001 on Bull Deer Island in the Western Aleutians, and I had been out there for four months with a small crew, and we were picked up by our research vessel and brought back. The plan was to fly back from Dutch Harbor back to home, and we had heard no news all summer. We had only had had occasional satellite phone information from family, and we pulled into the harbor at Dutch Harbor on the morning of September 11th, 2001, and turned on the radio, and all the news in the wheelhouse was about the attacks that were happening on September 11th. And that was our first news after four months to come back to. It was um, really dramatic. And we pulled into the harbor and ended up uh, getting off and spending the next week in a hotel room trying to get home. but. To come back from a summer of all those months on this really special island with four million seabirds and no news, and to arrive to that news and the rest of the world was an experience I'll never forget. It's not for everybody. To be on in one of our camps means you don't have a refrigerator. We bring mostly non-perishable food although we've learned that things like cabbages and onions and apples and carrots keep well, and if you keep them out of direct light and keep them relatively dry, they last for much of the summer. Um, we learn to shower with solar showers and to um, uh, sometimes folks learn about native plants and are able to supplement their diet a little bit, but it's definitely a, a life with the land and it's not for everybody. It takes a certain kind of person to love spending months on a remote, windy, foggy, cold, desolate island, smelling and hearing seabirds 20 hours a day. Starting around 2000, we got satellite phones in our camps. It's meant that we could call home and we could share information that made our lives a lot easier but it also has changed the feeling of being in a camp when you can get news from your family. It's harder. It, um, I have little kids and 
I'm really grateful that when I go into remote places, I can hear from them and, and talk to them and be a little bit part of their lives. But it makes it harder to when they can tell me what I'm missing. And it takes me away from the wildlife refuge that I'm there to experience. My husband's also a field biologist. Uh, he did his PhD on the island in the Western Aleutians where we met. And so that's been lucky. He understands my love for the islands and for seabirds. And so he can help out and understand why I have to sometimes go away for weeks or months. But it's, it's an added challenge as a mom trying to balance your love for the refuge and your need to be there to take care of your family. The wildlife on the Alaska Maritime Refuge doesn't care if we're there to observe it, but we are able, our, our efforts to understand what's happening on the refuge help us figure out which pieces we may be able to do something about. If there's change, sometimes it's human caused and sometimes it's not. Often it's broad scale and maybe beyond our control, but sometimes it isn't. And so our job is to bring to the rest of the world this special place that few people get to see and help raise the flag when any of those species are in trouble and help figure out which which pieces we may be able to do something about and um, hopefully leave the refuge a slightly better place. This has been My Life Wildlife, a production of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, Alaska Region, Office of External Affairs. Producers, Lisa Hupp and Chris Pacheco. Produced and story edited by David Hoffman for Citizen Race Car, audio editing, sound design, and original music by Garrett Tiedemann. Artwork by Michelle Lawson. In Alaska, the employees of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service are shared stewards of world-renowned natural resources and our nation's last true wild places. The lands and waters of this place we call home nourish a vast and unique array of fish, wildlife, and people. Our hope is that each generation has the opportunity to live with, live from, discover, and enjoy the wildness of this awe-inspiring land and the people who love and depend on it. <laughs>